Welcome back. What a beautiful day today. Got to be outside a lot this afternoon. Just enjoyed it. Uh, this morning, we'll be in, back in Joshua tonight, but I had, to, I had to tell you, so this morning, several of you were telling me, you know, you're going to do your homework this week, and you're excited about it and all that stuff, and going out and praying around the neighborhood, but my highlight was after second service that uh, one of the Chinese couples, he was baptized here a couple years ago, they have the little daughter, very cute, and, and uh, they were down front, we were just talking, and uh, learning, he was telling me about his job and stuff like that, and, and he said, I'm going to do my homework this week. And I thought it was very cool. And he said, we just moved out of a one-bedroom apartment into a, a three-bedroom home that they, they purchased in Plano, and he's excited about getting to know his neighbors. And so that was cool. That was cool. Uh, there was a minister who one time was on a flight uh, from the Midwest out to L.A. to visit aging parents. And... Uh, sat down, made himself comfortable, had a Bible, had a notepad, was going to work on his, his sermon for the, the next week. And after a few moments, they were still on the tar, uh, tarmac there, and a middle-aged woman came down and sat, uh, sat down in the seat next to him. She was wearing uh, business attire, and, and she got everything arranged, and, and she started talking to him. Uh, he asked her what she did for a living, and she said she was uh, in... Uh, procurement for a department store and, and was headed out west for a trade show and was excited about this this business trip out the coast and and finally she asked him what he did for a living and he said well I'm, I'm a minister I'm a preacher and uh, she said so so you're religious huh and <laughs> he kind of laughed he said well yeah I guess you could say that uh, anyway and I can vouch for this. What happened next to him is what typically happens in that situation. She kind of shut down and got out a magazine <laughs> and started reading him and kind of left him alone. Uh, and somewhere, after they got up and in the middle of that flight out to L.A., they started uh, going through a, a severe thunderstorm. I mean, you could see lightning outside of both sides of the plane, and the plane was just rocking up and down like a roller coaster. Really, really scary, bouncing around. People were obviously upset and uh, getting kind of worried and the flight attendants had strapped themselves in as well and the minister uh, just did what he did, usually did in those situations closed his eyes and grabbed the armrests um, and he had flown plenty had been through like all of us some turbulent flights but this one was kind of a different level I mean it was really really bad um, people were praying and screaming out loud and he started praying silently that they would be spared that they would be able to to land safely, uh, and suddenly he felt this this arm grip, uh, this hand grip his arm very, very tightly, and he looked over, and the woman <laughs> was looking at him, and she said, "You're religious. Do something." <laughs> and so he took an offering. <laughs> anyway, thought y'all would appreciate that. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Well, the truth is. <laughs> Yeah, there's no risk-free way to get from point A to point B. Just driving here tonight, you took on a certain risk. Um, and in life, we don't get guarantees, you know this. There are no promises of safety. There are certainly no promises that things are going to work out 
exactly the way we want them to and we understand this every time we get a report card our kids grades from school or we go to the doctor and we get results from an exam or we I mean there's just no no guarantees that things are going to work out that there's not going to be turbulence in fact uh, Jesus said in this world you will have trials you're you're going to have turbulence and so tonight we're going to look at a really this one is a momentous a momentous point in the history of Israel. I know there. this is one of the top three or four in all of Israel's history. The crossing of the Jordan River, the entrance into the promised land that they have been dreaming about, talking about, uh, and expecting to take possession of for centuries. Well, this is the point in time tonight. And really, really, if you, if you want to get down to brass tacks, I mean, crossing the Jordan is really the beginning of their status as a nation. I mean, we think of Israel going over. No, it's really, nations have land. They've never had land. I mean, they were slaves in Egypt. Before that, they were nomadic. They're going to become a nation as they cross in and begin to take possession uh, of their land and have boundaries and all of this to their land. And so as we watch them, we get a chance to see what it looks like to move forward with God hand-in-hand with God um, in a time of change, in a season of change, in a time of turbulence, um, when the old world is upended and you know that something totally new is beginning, and even if you think this totally new thing is going to be great, it's still a little bit scary. It's a little bit scary. In this case, uh, we've talked about the last couple of weeks, they know they're actually going to be enemies. They're going to be people lined up against them who are the current residents of the promised land who are going to be weaponized and pointing their weapons at the Israelites and dead set on keeping them from taking possession of that land. Um, So we're going to see what happens tonight, and we'll catch up with the tribes are encamped on the other side of the Jordan, the non-promised land side of the Jordan. And so we'll step in here in Joshua chapter 3, verses 2 to 5. The officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. I mean, this is very specific. Tomorrow. When you wake up tomorrow, this is going to be an extraordinary day. God is going to blow your minds tomorrow. Consecrate yourselves. Get ready. And so here they are on the banks of the Jordan River. And for years they have considered going back, returning to Egypt. Surely slavery is better than this nomadic existence that we've been enduring and now the people of God have finally let me say this again finally chosen to believe their God and to believe that he has something better for them on the other side of this river 
And so they're finally ready to put their doubts and fears aside and move forward. The future, they believe, finally. The future is on the other side of the Jordan. God's promises are waiting for them on the other side. But still they have to take a step of faith. They still have to do something. They aren't going to be teleported to the other side of the Jordan River. And once again, while God will go with them, as we've talked about the last few weeks, um, they're going to have to take up arms. They're going to have to go to battle. They're going to have to fight some fights to take possession of that land. And we're told in verse 15 of this chapter that the Jordan River at this season of the year was at flood stage. Now, we're not still, Jordan River at flood stage, we're not talking about the Mississippi River, okay? It's not like a mile across or something like that. Um, But there wasn't a bridge. They didn't have an armada of, of ships to take them across or boats to take them across. So God was going to have to do something for them to get from point A to point B, to get across this body of water. Um, And as a wise person once said, God's work done God's way will not lack God's support. So back to the step of faith, back to chapter 3, and I don't know if we have this on slides or not, but chapter 3, verses 6 to 8. Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant, pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and they went ahead of them. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, When you reach, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. When you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, Go and stand in the river. The river, as we said, flood stage. Uh, Normally, it would have been about 90 feet across, about 30 feet deep, give or take, depending on what part of the river you're at. It's bigger, it's deeper, this stage of the year. Water running a lot faster. So how you get from point A to point B is not an obvious thing. If you're standing on the one side of a raging river and there's no, it's not an obvious thing how you're going to get over there. I mean, it looked impossible or it looked really, really hard, especially when you are talking about hundreds of thousands of people, old and young, babies, children, animals. Um, that's a lot of people, a lot of animals to get from one side to the other of this river, which is precisely why they are being called to have faith, to trust God. Remember what Joshua told everyone there in verse 5. He said, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. God is going to do amazing things. So they were going to need that. They were going to need God to do some amazing things. Four decades, four decades leading up to this moment, give or take. The previous generation had crossed the Red Sea on dry land by the power of God, this time God would not simply part the waters. There would be a very important difference, a subtle difference, but a very important difference this time. Um, This time, they, at least the leaders, the spiritual leaders of the nation, would have to get their feet wet. They would have to step into the 
the waters according to what Joshua told them. And the priests would literally need to take this, I mean literally take a step of faith into flood stage Jordan River and then God would act. After they took their step of faith, God would act miraculously. So the spiritual leaders of the nation, the priests, would go out in front, accompanied by the Ark of the Covenant, and maybe some of them would have been thinking, hey, we're willing to walk by faith. We're not really excited about the possibility of drowning. And Joshua just says, go, walk, go to the middle of the river. Walk out into the middle of the river. Do it. Believe. And they did. They did. Suddenly, these flood stage violent currents of the Jordan River simply stopped. And it's cool, the description we get there. I mean, this, these are my words, but they talk about how the water started piling up in the Hebrew. It's like an invisible Hoover Dam appeared somewhere upstream, and the waters just started building up behind this invisible dam. The leaders and the priests walked out into the middle of the Jordan River on dry ground. And over a period of hours, I mean, this was quite a, quite a lengthy process to get that many people and that much stuff and that much... that all that livestock across, over a period of hours, all of the tribes, all of the people of Israel crossed from point A to point B, every single person. And I can't help but see a very in, in, important spiritual lesson here, uh, and that is that sometimes the first step is the hardest step. Maybe often the first step is the hardest step to take. And first steps are important, um, and challenging oftentimes. Sometimes just saying yes to Jesus, saying, you will be Lord of my life. That's, for some people, that's the hardest part of the spiritual journey. Stepping into the, the waters of, of baptism is, for some people, it's, it's the hardest step. Um, it's kind of scary. The step of choosing to become a member of a local church, that's scary for some people, planting your flag and saying, this is going to be my spiritual home. The step of saying yes to, to Rebecca, to the children's minister, I will teach a class. I will volunteer in the children's ministry. I will teach a bunch of six-year-olds. I've never done it before, but I'll do it. That can be kind of scary. Or the step of launching a new ministry. I mean, you've had this on your heart. It's, it's kind of been germinating and growing in your mind and your heart. It's finally time you believe to take action, to try it out, to experiment, to, to step out. And that's, that's kind of scary, taking that step. Or the step of tithing for the very first time. That's always scary for people, deciding to tithe for the very first time. The step of walking across your yard and knocking on your neighbor's door for the first time. The first step. The first step. Before taking it, you have to take on the voices inside your own head. The voices inside your own mind uh, that are saying things like, maybe this isn't the right time. Maybe, maybe I need to wait a little bit longer. Or maybe... I'm not the right person for this ministry or this work. Yeah, there are more gifted people at church than me. Um, or maybe I'm not 
spiritually mature enough. But here's the deal. You know this. If you listen to those voices, you never take the step. It's never the perfect moment. It never seems like exactly the right time. And so you never cross over into that promised land that God has for you, into those dreams, into that potential that God has called you to. But this story reminds us to take courage because when we listen to the Lord's voice above the lesser voices and we take the step of faith, then we get an opportunity to see God do something new and do something amazing and we get an opportunity and this is so cool anytime we get to feel like we're partnering with God it's unbelievable and the choice to take that step that choice is not just you I would remind you it's not it's not just a personal choice it involves other people countless there's a ripple there's a domino effect countless other people will be affected influenced by your choice to finally do that thing that you need to do Take the step that you need to take. And so as you visualize and just get a mental image of those priests taking that step down into that river, um, make sure your image includes the multitudes of people standing behind them and watching as they take courage and believe in God and they take the step. And when all of those people saw that step of faith and saw God work wonders through those people who chose to believe and take that initial step, they were filled with courage. They were filled with enthusiasm, and they were ready to take the step as well. Now, probably a little easier to take that step once all the water had dried. Be the 45th person instead of the first person to go through. So what do you do? When you know what you are supposed to do, but you are afraid to do it, you take the step. What do you do when God has called you to do something like love your neighbor, but you're not sure that you're up to it? You take the step. It's a powerful concept for me personally. Um, When I'm lacking in faith, I act as if I already have the faith. (laughs) When I feel a little scared, I feel a little nervous, but I know God is calling me to do something, I go ahead and take the step. And then I get to see God move, and I get to watch my faith grow. The story is living proof that faith really is, as we've been told, it's a verb. Uh, Faith involves action. It sees the turbulent waters and chooses to believe and chooses to take a step. And all that I want in life, as I look at that moment as they step into that river, all that I want is on the other side of a decision. All that you want, all that God has for you, is on the other side of that decision, of that step. Now, rewind. Back to that amazing day. Uh, Once the people were all across, Joshua, uh, through the Lord's order, Joshua ordered them to build a monument 
to commemorate, to memorialize what they had just done and what they had just seen God do. So there was one representative from each of the 12 tribes. They were sent back into the middle of the Jordan. The waters are still piling up. It hadn't started running. And they each grabbed a large stone and they piled those stones and they were formed into this, into this monument, into this memorial there on the side of the, of the, on the promised land side of the Jordan River. And God knew that was important for them to do that. Um, while everyone had been blown away by the miracle, how amazing it was, and their sails were full of the winds of faith, and everybody was excited, uh, they crossed the Jordan. The Lord knew it wouldn't be long before that faith and that excitement would cool. I mean, it happened with the Red Sea. It's going to happen here. It would cool. And uh, over time, he knew that the next generation would once again reach a point where voices of fear and voices of doubt were loud and were crowding out the Lord's voice. And when that happened, God knew they would have this monument that they could point to and say, remember when? <laughs> remember when the Lord made this miracle happen and the Jordan River stopped for those eight hours? And we all crossed. And it's no big news flash, I don't think, that, that we need this. I mean, you don't, no, I'm not saying you need to go make a pile of rocks in your backyard or anything. Uh, but we do need to do whatever it takes to remember what the Lord has done. When you see God do something, whatever it takes for you to remember that. Maybe it's celebrate that day each year. Maybe it's buy a piece of jewelry to remember that if, if you're... If you're 18 years old, maybe you get a tattoo or something. I don't know. I'm not advocating that. Whatever it takes for you to remember what the Lord did, we need that. The prayer he answered, the grace he provided, the job he gave you. When our fuel tanks are running low, we need to remember. Because they will run low from time to time. And if we have some remembrance, something visible that we can hold on to. It's like, yes, God came through in a situation like this before. And so like Israel, we should mark those times uh, when we've watched God work so we can look back. When things are turbulent, when faith is growing cool, remember, remember what God did. And some want for God to, <laughs> some want for God to keep providing, you know, every single step of the way. No worry, no disease. And God does provide, I know. But they want, no, no, God, I want you to provide a life that looks exactly like this. No worry, no disease, no job loss, no stress. To boil it down, um, a lot of people, maybe all of us from time to time, we want God to give us a life, the kind of life where God's not really necessary. And God's children must have faith because there are moments, lots of them, when, when God is absolutely necessary, um, where you know there's no way to cross this river, metaphorically speaking, unless God does something, unless God gives me the strength, unless God makes a way. And with all of the people, back to the story, with all of the people safely across on the other side, very close now, to the city of Jericho, in the environs of the city of Jericho, life is going to change for everyone. At the end of chapter 5, we are told that 
on this side of the Jordan, there would no longer be manna provided from heaven. Remember, God's been sending this manna over and over again. Don't have to worry about starving, nothing like that. Manna's going to come. The Lord is going to keep. We wake up, and there it is, something to eat. It's a beautiful thing. But at the end of this chapter, they're told, the manna stops. The manna is done. No more manna. The, the heavenly entitlement program is ending. <laughs> Let's pick it up in Joshua chapter 5, verses 10 to 12. I think there's some important things here for us to consider. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land. They were eating from the promised land produce. Unleavened bread, roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites. But that year, they ate the produce of Canaan. You know, sometimes if God is going to get us to take a second step, a third step, a fourth step, he's got to give us a little, little nudge. No more manna, guys. If you're going to eat, if you're going to feed your children, you're going to have to go. You're going to have to conquer. You're going to have to walk with me deeper and deeper into these lands that I've promised you. There is no manna waiting for you. This is the plan. Time for something better. Time to enjoy the fruits of the promised land. So getting across the Jordan, there were um, faith tests and there were firsts, and life works like that oftentimes. But if they would just trust him and if they would, yes, begin following him and march forward into the land, take possession of the land, they would find that the manna stopped because God had something better for them. There was something better in store. And I do believe there are moments when God allows us to feel pressure, when God gives us a little nudge to have our faith tested, to be, if you will, in want, not have everything we want or even think we need, perhaps, so that God can motivate us to continue moving forward with Him, to trust Him at deeper and deeper levels. And as we've talked about before, often comfort can be the enemy of obedience. It can be the enemy of taking a faith step. If I'm comfortable, I don't take that step. If I'm comfortable, I don't feel like I need to draw closer to God. If I'm comfortable, I don't need to lean on God. If I'm comfortable, maybe I don't feel like I need to obey that command that he's given me that's a little bit difficult. So in his wisdom, he can, and as a loving father, he does (laughs) make us uncomfortable sometimes to encourage us to move into the plans he has for us instead of staying in the shallow end. And tonight we're going to close out with a key question that each of us has to answer in life. This is also from Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 to 15. Very interesting, curious encounter between Joshua and an angel. 
when Joshua, when Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with sword in hand. Joshua went up to him and demanded, Are you friend or foe? Neither one, he replied. I am the commander of the Lord's army. At this, Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. I am at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? That's a good question. The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. Now that, to me, as we finish up tonight, that is what I would call some promised land perspective right there. It starts with this key question Joshua asked, which seems a perfectly reasonable question to ask someone who's armed that's standing right above you. Um, Are you friend or foe? I mean, Joshua is looking at Jericho dead ahead, not far away, and he has this powerful, awe-inspiring stranger, not any of his generals, not any of the troops he recognizes from the Israelites, strolls up to him, and Joshua, are you fighting for us, or are you fighting against us? And that answer is one that we would do well to just think about. The answer is neither. I'm not for you. I'm not against you. I'm an angel of the Lord. I am the commander of his heavenly hosts. And embedded in that conversation, like I said, that is some promised land perspective. The reality is we tend to, it's just natural, so I'm not wagging fingers at you guys. Or, I mean, it's just, it's part of the human experience. We tend to make ourselves the centers of the universe. We tend to think, you know, you hear that expression, the world revolves around you. Well, we tend to all think. The wor- our worlds are very small, and we tend to think of our interests and what makes us scared and what concerns us and how we can leverage different situations to get our agenda through, you know, to feel good about that, that everything is going to cooperate for our benefit, for our good. Um, we're, we're drawn to think that uh, everything kind of needs to orbit around us, our goals, our desires, our plans. And the visit from the angel right there on the verge of the conquest of the promised land, the visit from the angel is a very powerful reminder to Joshua, and if we'll pay attention to us, that it's not whether God is on our team or not that counts. That is a completely irrelevant question. It's whether we are on his team. We're not inviting him to be a co-captain or to be our starting running back. No, he is his team. We get to play on his team if we choose. That's the question, and that's the promised land perspective. Um, We have a relationship with him because he has invited us into that. We did not bring anything into this that made him want us to play for his team, okay? We weren't all that impressive, but he loves us and he invited us in. And so this is a relationship based on faith, it's based on grace, it's a dynamic of walking by faith, and we always need to remember the answer to that question, he's in charge. The question is, am I lining up with him? Not is he going to line up with me? 
And ultimately, the battle belongs to the Lord. Will we join him in his fight? Too often we lose perspective. We start, we start inviting him to join our plans, to bless our plans, uh, to, to come into our battles and help fight our battles for us. Lord, help me with this. I've got this problem. Lord, give me, give me some air support on this situation at home. Help me at work. I've got a difficult boss. Send me resources for my, my fi- financial situation. And the truth is the battle is his. It's always been his. It, it's, it's not ours. And I would say that's the promised land perspective. The battle does belong to the Lord. He owns it. It's his. So let's bow our heads and we'll just pray and then we'll, we'll worship. Father, I confess it, it is so easy for me to, to pray selfish prayers. How often have I asked you to come in and bless this or prosper this other thing or help me out with this and essentially just present you with a list of all of my problems and all of my plans and ask you to come in and help me out. But the question is whether you're going to be on my side or on my enemy's side. The question is whether I'm going to line up with you and be on your side. That's where I know I'm safe. That's where I know the blessing waits for me that's where I know your promises will be fulfilled and so God we want to join with you say yes to you and we know that can only happen if we walk by faith and every walk begins with a first step and whatever that area of life is tonight And we've got a room full of different people with different situations. But wherever that area is, it might be in a relationship. It might be with money. It might be with a a health situation. It might be whatever. Wherever that area is, give us the faith to take the first step and to follow you and to walk with you. And Lord, if we do that, we fully expect to see amazing things happen. This is our prayer. In the name of Jesus, our Redeemer and our Savior. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's worship.